Hello, this is Mark Richter with another episode of Linux for the Layman. Want to feel safe, secure, and capable when using your computer? This is for you if you want to succeed and know you can handle your computer tasks with ease. Greetings. Welcome to another episode of Linux for the Layman. This will be episode 31. More on various subjects. A little bit about the command line, more on shell functions, maybe some esoterica I throw in at the end. I've had a few health challenges over the last month, so I've been lax in recording podcasts. I hope you'll forgive me and I trust you'll come back for more. Today, one of the things I want to talk about is a reason why I truly believe Linux is the operating system to be running on your home desktop. And what's so great about the command line? I've talked about the command line quite a few times and you'll hear about it a lot more as we go. So why am I focusing so much on this command line thing? Why can't I just log in and use the graphics interface and be happy with it. You can. I'm not saying it's not possible. What I will tell you, as I have said before, the graphics interface is based largely on the commands that run underneath. If you want to run a file manager, basically what the file manager is, regardless of which version of Linux distribution you're running, the file manager is a glorified graphics collection of interfaces to various commands. If you want to list your commands, which is typically what the file manager will do in whatever directory you start up as, it will do an ls command to get the names of the files. Now there are some newer graphics interface file managers that actually do the same work that the underlying command does. In the older interfaces, it was much easier just to use the underlying command, intercept the output, and present it in graphics format. Some still do. Some do it by calling the same interfaces that the system command for listing your directory's files, which is called ls. Please remember that Linux is derived in concept from Unix. There is no direct correlation, but what Linux commands do looks a lot like what Unix commands do. Unix was born out of an era where the amount of space you had on a command line to type in a command was severely limited. The initial terminals, which were used before there was such a thing as a graphical user interface, were 25 lines up and down and 80 characters wide. When you have only 80 characters, you want to preserve as many of them as possible. And to do that, you shorten all the commands, which is what the Unix developers did. List your files became ls. Copy was cp. Remove was rm. As things progressed through Unix and on through Linux, commands sometimes became a little bit longer. Largely, they're still pretty terse. I like that because it's less typing for me to do. It makes no difference when you're clicking on a mouse through a graphical user interface because you use the mouse to find out where you want to click to. 
I can talk about that versus keyboard some other time, or maybe later in this podcast. The power of the command line is that almost everything you can do in Linux, you can do using a command. That includes graphics files manipulations, although I will readily admit it can be a lot clumsier to try and draw a line with the keyboard than it is to simply click the mouse, move the mouse to another place and click again, or in some places you have to click with the mouse, hold down the shift key, then move the mouse someplace else and click again, and you get a nice easy line between the two click points. And that's wonderful for graphics. My personal difficulty with command line versus a mouse, and I've talked about this before, but I'll repeat it, it bears repeating. I have a 32-inch 2K screen. It's actually a 2K plus screen because it's a 16 by 10 format, not 16 by 9. What that means is the number of pixels across for the ratio is compared to the number of pixels down. So a 16 by 9 screen has 16 pixels across for every 9 pixels down. That means your HD format, which was the standard for a long time, was 1920 pixels wide by 1080 pixels high. That's a 16 by 9 ratio. But there was also an extended HD resolution 16 by 10, which is 1980 pixels by 1200 pixels high. That was typically used for photograph processing because that format is more common with photos and also with movies. A lot of movies are 16 by 9, some of them are 16 by 10. Which has nothing to do with command line per se. However, what it means is I have a fairly large screen and the images on it can be relatively small particularly text images, unless I blow them up. Sometimes I have trouble locating the cursor, and sometimes moving the mouse around doesn't help enough. With the keyboard, I don't have to know where the mouse cursor is. I can just do things from the keyboard. I know where the keys are. I've been using a keyboard long enough. And there's a keyboard with every single computer, laptop or desktop, sold. They don't come without them. There may be some that have touch screens, which is really nice if you don't mind using your fingers on the screen. For precision, I would prefer a mouse. And for the ultimate precision, I use the keyboard because the keys don't move. I always know where they are. And in almost every what you call an application on Linux, there's a keyboard keystroke sequence that will work to do a lot of what the various mouse navigate and click functions are. For example, if you want to maximize your window so it fills the whole screen, typically that's F11. F11 again brings it back. So it's a toggle between full screen and where you were before full screen. For the mouse, you go and click on the, the box on the menu bar. Typically it's right next to the X, which means you want to be careful not to click the wrong one. And that box will usually have an empty square in it with a big broadband at the top. If you click that, it maximizes the window to fill up the whole screen. And the icon changes to two little boxes. You click that, and it goes back down to the unmaximized side. 
I've been using computers long enough that the keyboard is pretty much second nature to me and even the newer keyboards of which I happen to have a somewhat recent one are really good for certain specific types of keystrokes. My keyboard is a I think it's called a multimedia keyboard. I won't say who it's from because I don't actually like that computer company much anymore but they did make darn good keyboards. This is a fairly strong heavyweight keyboard. It's wired, which I like because it means it's not something that the computer will ignore. It is wired to a USB plug, so it does go into the USB port and you have to have USB enabled for the keyboard in your BIOS, but that's normal configuration for computers these days. I'm going to give this a rest for a moment because I have been engaged in Spotify's new automated commercials and I want to leave space for one. So we'll be back in a moment with the next part of this podcast. Do come back. It'll be much more interesting as it goes. Thanks for listening. Come back soon. As I said, there's some esoterica that I kind of wanted to get into this time. I'm going back to the Windows versus Linux discussion. I'm not going to argue which one's better. There are some things I am willing to admit that Windows does more conveniently for the user. And there are some things that drives me crazy about Windows' idea of convenience for the user. The one that really gets me in general is the update mechanism. In Windows, when an update comes up, if you have it set not to do them automatically, you have to go through a series of menus to get it to do the update and there's many steps along the way where you have to say yes go ahead do this and if it requires a reboot which most of them do you have to drop everything you're doing shut everything down reboot the machine and then bring everything back up there are some windows that if you leave them up windows will restore them when you come back Unfortunately, there are a couple of drawbacks to this, even though it seems like it should work. My work laptop runs Windows 10. I just updated it to the latest release for Windows 10, the 22H2 update. And that laptop has two screens. When I reboot, if I leave a window open before, when I shut it down or tell it to go ahead and reboot, it will bring all the windows that were open back only on one screen. So I lose all the positioning, half the sizes, and I find it easier to shut them all down before I tell the machine to reboot. Wait till it's done with the reboot, which can take one or two cycles occasionally, and then go and restart all the applications that I want. There's some other cute little features of Windows Teams, for example. I routinely take Teams out of my startup sequence for Windows because I don't want it starting up right away when I, Windows, when I boot a Windows machine. When Teams gets updated, it resets that to what it wants, which is to be started up when you start Windows. That bugs me. On the flip side, on Linux, there's a program to do software updates. It usually runs automatically every so often and you have some amount of control over how often it runs how picky it is about whether it's going to install 
the updates automatically or just download them until you tell it to install them which is what I prefer sometimes although I will admit it's rare there's an update that messes things up and you want to be able to back up and the updater will let you do that the key though is that once you tell the updater to run it runs if you don't have it set to run the updates when it's finished loading them then it'll ask you do you want to go ahead and install this and it tells you how much space it's going to take up and what's going to get installed and what's going to get removed that's nice I usually go for the automatic version which is once I tell it to update it's going to run all the way through until it finishes the update and then if a reboot is necessary which it usually is not then I can opt to shut everything down and then tell it to reboot if I don't opt to shut it, everything down and I just leave windows open they rarely come back up in the right place and for example typically I run multiple terminal windows as a command line windows because as I was just talking about I use a lot, the command line a lot and I have different purposes for each of the windows that I run in the command line in however if there are multiples of them running it will only restart one and which one it is depends on what the last one that was opened or closed was I find that annoying too but to me it's the lesser of two evils I personally prefer the level of control I get in Linux vastly higher than the level of control I do not have in Windows there are some things Windows does better I just I have to admit that Windows was written for users Linux was originally written for developers and it's been kind of stumbling into the user land with the new graphics user interfaces and there's so many graphics user interfaces to choose from how do you know which one you're gonna like the answer is try them and see it's not that big a deal you can change the graphics Windows Manager you run. You can change the user interface you run. You can change which distribution you run. You have to reboot to go between them because they're not all internally compatible. And they have different philosophies about how things are going to be done. You can try them all out online. There are a number of places where you can go and look at all kinds of different GUI desktops and see which one you like best. And it will tell you what the underlying distribution is and which desktop manager you're going to run. My personal highest preference is Xubuntu, which is Ubuntu with the XFCE4 graphics interface laid on top. They are integrated in Xubuntu, so yes, you can change them, but the whole point of them is it's a graphics interface that is not system intensive, it's not processor intensive, it doesn't take up a lot of memory, it doesn't chew up a lot of time or disk space. It's slim and it is highly customizable. You can customize it any way you like. You can try different distributions. Ubuntu even just added the Cinnamon desktop to its primary distribution, Ubuntu. So if you want Ubuntu with the Cinnamon desktop, that's what you get with Linux Mint by default. And to a degree that kind of makes Linux Mint less attractive. 
I will also say that Linux Mint has a different idea about how things should be integrated into the system and their setup is not compatible with the Ubuntu setup. But they can do the same thing, it just doesn't look the same, even if it behaves the same way. That is one of the picky differences between Linux desktops and Linux distributions. That said, I'm going to take another short break and then I'll come back and talk more about shell functions and the command line again. See you soon. Our final segment today, I'm going to get back to shell functions. Remember them? I talked about them at the beginning of this. And I talked about them in the last podcast episode. Shell functions consist of a fair amount of program capability. But you don't have to be a programmer to use them. What shell functions are best for, in my humble opinion, is shortcuts, abbreviations. Now there are aliases and we talked about that. An alias is slightly limited because alias is where you give a name to a particular command with a specific set of parameters. And that's fine. For example, I use this example all the time. I like to use the rsync command for backing up my files. And I have a certain specific set of rsync options that I want to use every single time without exception. So I have a shorthand alias for rsync followed by those specific options. I can't just say use that abbreviation. It won't do anything because rsync is waiting for more information. That's what normally follows it on the command line. Specifically, it needs a, one or more sources and a destination. rsync is it's short for remote synchronization and it was designed originally to synchronize copying files from one machine to another but it's been updated since way back when for a long time that you can rsync on the same machine as long as you're not rsyncing to the same place and even if you are it's smart enough to recognize that it shouldn't update files in the destination that are the same as the ones that are in the source. It only updates files that are newer. And there's an option where you can say update them no matter what. It's a very powerful command. The list of options is several pages in the manual page. The point is, there's an alias that collects all of my almost always used options into one short name. Functions are for those instances where you want to insert parameters somewhere in a stream of commands. We talked a little bit about shell pipelines. That's where the output of one command is sent to the in, as the input to the next command. So you can run a number of commands that pass their output to another one to, that will accept it as input and then process and do something else. One of my favorites for this is the PS command. PS stands for process status. If you just type in PS, it'll show you what commands are running in your shell and on what terminal. For example, let me just bring one up here. PS by default will show bash, which is my command line interpreter, and the PS command and without further information, that's all it says. But there's a way that I can say list all of the processes running on the system 
with the command name, a lot of information. And there's a way to do that. It's fairly easy to do. It's not that easy to make sense out of it. However, if I'm looking to see where a specific command is running, I want to say ps-efw and give it the name of that command. But I only want to see the ones that are running on my terminal. So I look at what my terminal is, that's shown in the basic ps command, and then I can say ps-efw pipe, which is send this output to another command, grep, grep is the global regular expression print command that says find this and show me where it is. And I give it the name of the program I'm looking for. Say I want to know who's running rsync. What I would type in is ps-efw pipe, which is the vertical bar, grep rsync. And that will show me every instance of rsync that's running. But it will also show me every instance of any command that includes the word rsync in it, including the grep command that I just issued. So I want to have a shortcut that will show me the uses, but not the one I'm running grep for. So that's ps-efw pipe grep something pipe grep-v grep, meaning don't show me the greps. Grep-v means show me everything except this. Now, in order to make that useful, after the first grep, before the pipeline to the second grep that says don't show me the greps, that's where I need to put in the information I want, the pattern I'm looking for. You can't do that with an alias, because an alias just substitutes whatever is in it for the word you typed. Functions can do that because functions are parameterized. They're full shell functionality. They're like their own commands, but they're executed internally by the shell, so they're faster than running an external command. In this particular case, that would be ps-efw pipe character grep dollar asterisk pipe character grep-v grep. That dollar asterisk means insert all the parameters I send to this function at this point in the command it's going to execute. And if that's too complicated, my apologies. That's a, as simple as I can put it. The best way to play with functions is do that. Play with them. Write up a bash cell script. It's a simple text file, not a document just a plain text file. You want a text editor to create these. Something like Notepad in Windows, or I think it's called Mousepad in Xubuntu, or you can use the standard traditional text editors, VI or Emacs, your choice. There are radical differences between the two. Once you get hooked on one, you tend not to want to use the other ever. And there are other variations there's one called Nano, which is a really small version of Emacs. Or it's a small text editor with an Emacs interface. There are different versions of VI. There's a new one now that's been around for quite a while called VI Improved. VIM for short. I like that because it's slightly more powerful than the base VI. The big advantage is that VI was the standard text editor that came with every distribution of Unix and then Linux before Emacs was invented, and I was learning to edit back then, so I use it. 
I've gotten used to it. I like it. Yes, it has its quirks. Everything in computer software has its quirks. You just have to find the quirks you you like the most and hate the least and go with them. That's been today's episode of Linux for the Layman. I hope you enjoyed it. hope you maybe got a laugh or two. Even if it wasn't my expense, that's okay. If you found this informative, please do yourself a favor and do your friends a favor and share it. And refer your friends to this podcast for more episodes. This is the 31st and there will be more coming. These are free. I do accept donations. Feel free to donate via Spotify or Anchor or whatever you happen to be listening to it on. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's at anchor.fm. It now belongs to Spotify, so they're kind of the same thing. And these podcasts do get distributed to other podcast subscription services, including Apple Pay or Apple Play. So if you heard it there, that's okay. It came from Spotify. With that, I'm going to bid you farewell. Until the next time, do come back and join us again. Linux for the layman. And you can contact me at linuxforthelayman at gmail.com. I love your questions. I love your feedback. I love you. Come back and see me again soon. Bye for now.